All right. How's everybody doing? Oh, man. I don't know about you, students. If we could extend D now for a day, would you keep going? I know I feel the same way in my heart, but like my back <laughs> is telling me it's time. <laughs> so um, I, I love weekends like this, but man, they just tire me out. Um, and I will soon have a three-hour nap on my way. Um, man, well, one, I know we changed things up. Uh, I had the privilege of being over there when we were about to start serving breakfast, and senior adults started coming in, and they're like, where's my life group? And I had to be the one to break it to them that we have one service today at 11, and you're a tad bit early. Um, but I'm so thankful because this is always, I mean, I don't think it's a bad dream, but it's always a dream I had that, like, at the end of D now, I want everyone to be together to hear them sing, you know? I want us all to be together to hear what God's been doing in their life. And so in the past few years, we've gotten to come to one service or the other, but I feel like half the church has been missing out. And like, you, no one wants to miss out on this. I mean, gosh, I'm just on like, I've almost cried 10 times worshiping. And I'm like, okay, we need to get started with the talk. All right, uh, first off, if you help with D-Now in some way, hosted a home, drove, well, uh, I would say drove or waited around for an hour before you could drive, uh, if you were in check-in, a small group leader or electric city collective or any other element, would you just stand for one second? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, before you sit, before you sit, every student, I want you to look around and see who's around you and who's standing. And the reason why is because we care about you. And every single one of these people sacrificed something for you to have the weekend you had. And it's because we love you, we care about you, and you're noticed. So you can sit down. Um, so some of you are a little too old to attend D now, and so I get that you might not be knowing maybe what's going on or what we've been learning, but our theme this week is, anybody? Oh, praise the Lord, they got that right. Uh, undivided, undivided. Um, the reason we chose that theme, it was actually off two verses. So let me read you the words of Jesus in John, and then let me read you the words of John in 1 John. So John 15, 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. But remember the words that I spoke to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. In the other verse, we, we kind of see that John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he's picking up on this because in his letter that he wrote, 1 John 2, 15, he says, do, do not love the world or the things of the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. And that's pretty harsh and blunt words, but that's the way it is. And the reason we chose that theme this weekend is because we don't want to be divided for the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of this world. Like that, it just, it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. Um, on Friday night, Leah's not here, but she shared the gospel in such an amazing way through John 15 and talked about the only way that we can be unified with God is through Jesus. Um, um, Saturday morning, we heard from Emma and she brought up how sometimes suffering is one of the most unifying things that we all have because 
we're not going through life alone, and you would be surprised about how many people are in this sanctuary that are going through what you're going through. And then um, last night, Matthew shared an awesome message about how the church to display unity, that we should. Because if God is unifying us through his son with him, we should be unified with one another. And so today, I get to talk about Revelation 3, uh, which everybody's like, oh no. But I promise, it's all right. Uh, But I get to talk about Revelation 3 and talk about a church that for some reason they're trying to live for the world and live for the God, or live for God at the same time, and it's not working out. And so that's kind of where we're going to land today. So why don't I read Revelation 3 for us? It's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll get, we'll get started. So uh, verse 14 of Revelation 3 says, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot, or sorry, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And everybody's like, that's why the student pastor picked this passage. Just kidding. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But it goes, keeps going. It says, for you say, I am rich, I become wealthy, and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I've also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. So let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me pray for us. Um, Man, Lord, all weekend you have been pouring into me a heart of gratitude. I'm so grateful for what I get to do. I'm so grateful that this is a weekend. I get to carve out my, my schedule and this is it. It has been amazing. But Lord, I'm most thankful that when I was in college, you saw the darkness that I was in and you were pursuing me the whole time and, you, and my eyes were opened to how good and loving you are. And I'm uttermost, most thankful that you saved my life. And Lord, I repent and I apologize of times when I've become lukewarm, just like the church of Laodicea. And Lord, I know that I come in and out of seasons of that, but you have something so much more full and real for me. And I know you have the same for everybody else who is sitting in here. So as we take this time to walk through your word, may you bless it. And may we walk out of this sanctuary in an entirely different place than when we walked in. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, I don't get the chance to speak up here often, and um, maybe there's a reason that, I don't know, but it's probably because I tell stories about my family. I heard my dad told his Sunday school class that they should be here because Cameron is going to throw some family member under the bus, and he's going to embarrass them, but I'm not. I'm going to embarrass the church. Um, So... um, when I, I grew up in student ministry here at Briarwood, I was not a believer and I came to know the Lord, I really truly believe, in college where he radically changed my life. And where I'm at now was never where I thought I would be. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, 
Let me get back to Dean Out Weekend. There is one thing that I always have like a secret goal. If we can just accomplish this, the weekend was a success. And it is this, no pranks. If we can get through one weekend without someone getting hurt or being pranked, we did it, right? And I understand that's kind of hypocritical because we love to prank each other as a staff. I might have broken into a couple pastor's offices and stole some of their personal belongings and replaced them with other things like baseballs or cardboard cutouts of Kirby Smart. Um, but, sorry, you might can figure out who that goes towards. Um, and Joe still doesn't know what I've done to his office. Um, but I remember it didn't start when I was on staff. It started when I was a student. So let me give you a story. Uh, we used to go to summer camp at Jekyll Island at Briarwood by the Sea, all right? And everybody's like getting nervous now. Um, and so while we were there one summer, the boys, the high school boys, we kind of split up into homes. So there was like a high school boys home, a middle school boys home, uh, high school girls, middle school girls. And our high school boys thought, you know what tonight would be the best night for? Pranking the high school girls, you know? And this is going to show you how much, like, if you have a high school boy or if you know a high school boy, you, you will understand this. We had a really good idea, but like no logistics to make it happen. So we show up to their house and while we're there, uh, we check every door and we realize, oh, it's locked and we can't get into their house. So some of us start heading back to our house until this front door swings open. And two of our high school boys had checked the windows and they found out that the window above the sink in the kitchen was open. So they crawled in through the sink and we all get into the girls' living room. And I remember this so vividly. And we stand there and we look at one another and we go, what do we do now? <laughs> like we had nothing, we had nothing. This was a great idea, but like there was, we were not gonna do anything. And so we're standing there, and it's like a minute or two. And we're like, man, what are we going to do? And then the back door, like, slides open, and in comes a high school boy with a tree branch, three times as tall as he is. And he just drags it in, and he throws it in their living room, and he says, run. And so we all just start booking it. We're like, no way. And so we're running. And I, all I remember is, like, I remember the, like, the breath, like, <laughs> And I remember hearing Mike Ricks, who was the student pastor before me, yell, boys, stop. And I love Mike, and I respect Mike, and I hold him up here. But I didn't stop, and neither did any of the rest of us. And we booked it back to our room, and we hid. Now, there are consequences. So the consequence for us was me and my brother, and I'm not saying he was involved, but me and him were staying in a room separate than the rest of the house. And late that night, we heard a knock on the door. And so we're like, oh, it's Mike, and he's coming to discipline us. Nope. We swung that door open, and there was a sweaty high school girl who had dragged for two blocks that familiar tree branch all the way to our room. And in the best power move I've ever seen from a high school girl, she took the tree branch, she threw it on top of our bed, and she goes, you forgot your tree branch. And she walked right out. Oh. So good. You can't write stories as good as that. Um, now, there's a reason I tell that story. One is for repentance and confession, because that's what this room is for. Um, no, I, I tell that story because, like, the most vivid part of that memory I have is looking at other people around me and going, why are we here? Like, what are we doing? We did not think this through. And, man, I don't know if any of you in the room relate to this. I just wish I had more moments in my life where I would do that. 
where I would just take a step back and ask, like, am I becoming the person I want to be? Like, are the people I'm surrounding myself with the best people that need to be around me? Like, am I living daily with Jesus? Or is it just a seasonal faith? Or is God even real? Like, I wish, I look back in my life and I'm like, man, I just wish I would have taken a few seconds every few weeks or, and just to take a second and breathe and say like, man, am I becoming who I want to be? And I want to start there before we talk about the church of Laodicea because I really feel like for some of you, that can be this morning. Like, what we're about to read is very humbling and honest, and it should pierce us in our hearts. But don't walk away today and hear the message and just be numb to it. Like, let's all humble ourselves and go to Scripture and see what Jesus has to say to that church. And maybe just maybe ask ourselves, what if he's talking to us too? So let's head into the letter. In verse 14, we see, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Sorry, I'm already going to stop us there. Um, I feel like when I say the church of Laodicea, many of you are like, what the heck is Laodicea? It's a city. It'd be the same thing if I told you, this is a letter to the church of Morocco. And you would think, oh, is that the instrument? It's like, no, those are Moroccos. Morocco is like a nation. So Laodicea was a city during the time of Jesus. And I think before we move on, let's just, I want to tell you a little bit about that city. Um, it was a very wealthy city. Um, you see it within the verses that the people there said, I'm rich and I become wealthy. So it was, um, it was placed between the city of Philadelphia and the city of Colossia, which means that it had two major roads that ran through that city, which meant that there was a lot of trade that happened, a lot of industry that was there. Actually, archaeologists went to the city of Laodicea and they found two coliseums that they would use there for entertainment. And the way I look at it is the people of Laodicea were not living to survive, they were living to thrive, right? They had so much of an abundance of money um, and the city was beautiful. It was placed on what they call seven hills, almost like Rome. And so it was the place where like you heard about Laodicea and that's what you dreamed about. If you wanted to be somebody, you went to the church of Laodicea or you went to the city of Laodicea. If you wanted your kids to have the best education, you went to Laodicea. And as I was like going through my Bible atlas in my office this week, I started to realize like, man, that's how the world looks at America. But that's how a lot of Georgians look at Oconee. But here's the thing about Laodicea. Even though it was pretty on the outside and there was a lot of entertainment and fun, it was a broken city. And there's no doubt about that. And so just because we live where we live doesn't mean that there's not brokenness. See, the thing is, the people in Laodicea, they thought they were good. They had no clue that there was a need in their life that nothing the world can offer can fill. And so... Now let's head more into the letter. And so my first point is this. Jesus cares about his creation. If you have your bulletin, you can write it in there. If you have your D-Now booklets, you can take notes too, students. Jesus cares about his creation. We see this letter start with a command. Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. So who is writing the letter? Well, literally writing the letter is John. But who is telling John what to write is Jesus. Now we can pick that up in Revelation 2, but also... Jesus does, I think, I love that he does this in this letter. He gives a little bit of a, like, this is who I am. 
Because I know, uh, I saw Merritt in the crowd when I'm up here. Me, Merritt, and Allie a few weeks ago went to um, New Orleans on a vision mission trip. And I'm going to tell them all about Robin. But there's a girl Merritt met on a tram while we were in uh, New Orleans. And we named her Robin. We never called her name. But Merritt had a conversation with her about Jesus, right? And she said, I know who Jesus is. And Merritt's like, really? She goes, he's a healer and he doesn't like me. And so my point is, like, every, I think every person in this room has an idea of who Jesus is. But no one knows Jesus better than Jesus. And I love that he gives us a couple of adjectives for us to realize, like, this is who I am. And this is who Jesus is declaring who he is. So he first thing he goes and says, I'm the amen. This word can be transliterated straight into truth, which means Jesus is saying, the way I live is truth. The way I live is wisdom. The way I live is completely connected to the Father. And he goes on then to say that he is faithful and true witness. In other words, when Jesus was here on earth, he was faithful to God. He never sinned in everything that he did from the way he, what he taught to how he spoke to who he interacted with and everything that he believed was connected to the Father. It had no blemish or tarnish on it. And that we can go to his life and say, man, I can live like him because it's perfect. And the last thing he says is that he was the originator of God's creation. That means everything was created through Jesus. And so that's who's writing this letter. But my point is Jesus cares about his creation. And to be honest, as I read that letter, I was like, I mean, I know he probably loves them, but he's a little ticked. Like you can pick up on the language that he's like, you're neither hot nor cold, nor cold nor hot. You're lukewarm, you're hot nor cold. I mean, I think he's truly trying to like hammer home like, you're not well right now. And sometimes it's hard for us to see love in honesty. Um, I have the wonderful privilege of being an uncle, and it is awesome. So I have a nephew named William, and I have a niece named Annabeth, and I'll soon have another nephew, and I won't say his name. But, um, but not because I forgot, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know if we want to talk about him. Um, but I have in my notes that the way I would describe Annabeth and William are they are sinfully cute, you know? Uh, they're so adorable and so sweet, but man, they don't listen. <laughs> you know? They're pretty defiant. Oh, man. Seeing Annabeth go in a car seat, whoo! <laughs> That's usually when I leave. I love you guys, and then I head out. But here's the thing. No matter how difficult they can be, I have no doubt in my mind that it doesn't diminish the love that Kara and Landon and Christopher and Morgan have towards their children. And that's a beautiful thing and a lesson for us to learn about God. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. But guess what? He loves us through it because he first pursued us. Praise the Lord that I don't have to earn my love from God. It's just there. You know, that is so freeing. So Jesus loves and cares for his creation. Second point. It's just, I want to make it clear, being lukewarm is not good, all right? You might can pick up on some of the hints, but it's not. The problem within the church of Laodicea was they were neither hot or cold or cold or hot. They were lukewarm. And so you might be thinking, like, what does it mean to be lukewarm? Well, that, there's a lot of synonyms I would have, like you might be complacent or indifferent, or you've been living your life going through the motions, or you have an apathy um, but I do want to make one big distinguishment in the word. I like how Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works, but I want to warn you, the church of Laodicea, 
Yes, lukewarmness was displayed in what they did, but it wasn't rooted in it. I tell our students all the time, there are kind of three ways I kind of look at our lives. We have a heart, we have our head, and we have our hands, okay? And here's the thing. If we trick ourselves in thinking that sin is just a hand issue, we're missing the root. You know, sin is something that starts in our heart, moves our head, and is displayed in our hands. And so don't get it wrong. Jesus is, lukewarmness is the problem, but it's not in what the church is doing. It's what they're thinking. It's how they live their life and like their biggest desires. The church of Laodicea, this is the real problem. It says it in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. That's lukewarmness. It's not living complacent lives. It's us walking every day like we don't need Jesus. It's us spending money like we don't need Jesus. It's us raising our kids like we don't need Jesus. It's like us going to school and dealing with the hard students in our class like we don't need Jesus. And we need him desperately. We need him desperately. Third point because we're going to kind of go right into that. Jesus despises lukewarm lives. And you might think, that's a really harsh word, Cameron. You should have chose something different. Well, maybe Jesus should have chose something different than vomit, but that's what he chose, you know? Sorry, but I feel like it's pretty, pretty equal. Um, my interns know this. I have like this hate list, not of people, uh, well, one person, but it, well, I'll talk about it in a second, of like things I just can't stand, okay? Number one on that list, cilantro. All right? Tastes like soap to me. And everybody judges me, but I'm sorry. I don't like soapy food, okay? The number two is the person. It is Pitbull. I don't think he's a good singer, and he hasn't wrote a good song in his whole life. And I'll say it. And the third, and this one gets me real fired up, right, MC? That Chick-fil-A believes they have the nerve to rename the Honor Palmer the Sunjoy. No one gave them the right. It's the Honor Palmer, and it always will be. But also on that list... Is throwing up for me. I don't care how sick I am, no way. I will, uh-uh. That, that just that feeling. But here's the thing, and notice, I, throwing up is in Scripture. I'm not making it a big point. The Lord is. Um, is like throwing up and vomiting, is our body telling us that there's something in us that's defiling us, it's hurting us, and it's harming us. And what Jesus is saying is, within my body, Lukewarm lives, harm it. In my body and in my church, lukewarm lukewarm lives hurt it. And that's on an individual level, and that's also on a church level. And I think in this, I had just the feeling behind it that, like, some of us might not like this scripture because we're like, well, God, I'm giving you something, you know? Like lukewarm lives, it's not like they're exempt from living a life for God. It's just not fully surrendered. And so part of us is like, well, why is it enough? And let me give you an illustration. God did not send his son Jesus to the cross to free the chains of sin off you so you could choose to shackle them back on when you want to. He wants that eliminated because sin is the barrier that separates us from God. And if God loves us, he does not settle for a partial life. He doesn't just want your Sunday and Wednesday. He wants every day in between. 
He doesn't just want your life when you're at church. He wants your life when you're at school or at work. Like he, does, he has a love for us that is invasive in the best of ways. And he wants everything in our lives. And he wants it all untouched for him to change. Because that's love. Because if God loves us and he is the perfect being of the universe that we believe he is, then why not let him have it? He deserves it. So, before we head to our last two points, I just wanted to say, is this hitting home for anybody? You know, like, when you hear about hot or cold or lukewarmness, are you sitting back going, man, I hope he doesn't look at me? Because I feel that. And I feel that a lot. And I want to say, that's why I love the phrase in verse 18 where Jesus says, so I advise you. Because what he's saying is, you realize you're lukewarm? Guess what? You don't have to stay there. The rest of your life can be on fire for me. It doesn't have to be cold and lukewarm. And so the last two points is this. Jesus wants us to come to him. Number one. So look at what he says in verse 18. He says, so I advise you. So I'm not going to leave you. Listen to me. I can get you out of lukewarmness. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to buy from me gold, white clothes, and ointment. Now, I don't think what Jesus is saying, and I don't want any of you students to go home and say, Cameron said in the sermon that God is going to give me gold. So I don't need to go to school anymore because he's going to provide all of that for me. I think it's a little bit more of an analogy and a literary device, but... Um, Jesus wants us to quit going to the world to provide the things that he wants to provide for us. I think in our world today, independence is viewed as a strength and dependence is viewed as a weakness. If you can take care of yourself and not have to depend on anybody else around you, that means you're strong. And that means also that if you depend on anybody else for anything, you're weak. But in the kingdom of heaven where things are topsy-turvy, that's not the case. Because what Jesus is saying is, depend on me and that's the way for you to be strong. Because I can be there for you and support you. See, look at what they were saying earlier. I'm rich. I have become wealthy. I need nothing. And look at what Jesus is saying in verse 18. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be what? Rich. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come to me for success. I want you to come to me for what it looks like to have your identity. I want every part of you. Nothing is exempt from my hands. And I want you to give it all up to me with open arms. Quit clinging on to things. And quit giving God what you, you are comfortable giving him. Because I'll tell you this, the biggest life changes I ever had and still have as a believer are when I finally let go of the things that God's got to have. And they're the things that most make us uncomfortable, the things we don't share with our best friends, the things we don't share with our parents. But God's got to have all of it. And notice that's not something, it's, I, I love this part. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting excited. But it says here in verse 20, See, I stand at the door and knock. God's saying, I'm right here. Like, I'm right beside you. But look, at all, all we have to do is this. If anyone hears my voice, just open the door. 
I love that Lord says, so then get your life right and come to me. That's not what he says. He says, you, you hear me knocking. You open the door. It's as easy as that. You open your life to me and you let me transform you from the inside out. That's all it takes. We don't have to stay lukewarm. We don't have to stay cold. All we need to do is turn to God. And the last point is this. We come to him and Jesus wants us to not turn back. In verse 19, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Again, there's that kind of hint that like, if I love you, it's going to come with a little bit of honesty, a little bit of rebuke, a little bit of discipline, but that's what you need. But look at the next verse. He says, so be zealous and repent. Repentance. I look at it as taking in a 180 in your life. That you're walking one direction, and you, when you repent, and you realize the life you've been living is sinful, you do a 180, and you walk the immediately other way. And that seems so easy. But any believer in the room is like, repentance, like, that sounds easy, but holy smokes, is it hard. Listen. Our salvation in Jesus, we do nothing to earn it. God provides that for us. But to live in the fullness of the life that Jesus wants to give us, it takes a lot of sacrifice. And look, God's not asking us to be perfect. I don't want you to hear that either and just be like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But what I'm saying is God doesn't want you to be perfect, but he wants you to pursue God with more devotion and love and care tomorrow than you did today, and next week than you did this week, and next month than you did this month. He wants you to just start living a life and giving up the things that are producing rotten fruit, as Leah said on Friday. So, oh, perfect. Sorry, I'm looking, I'm like, my stomach's growling, you probably can't hear it, but it's lunchtime. Um, let me get to the end. I love the verse this letter ends with, says, let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Anybody have ears? Yeah, you all do, okay? Didn't know if you looked in the mirror, but you do. But here's the thing. I love how it says, let anyone who have ears listen. Allie knows this, right? She knows when I'm listening, and she knows when I'm hearing her. And those are two different things. And most of the time when I hear her, it's when I'm on my phone but when she says, get off your phone and listen to me, I'm picking up it all perfectly. And that doesn't happen too often, right? Um, so I think what God is trying to get at, or sorry, Jesus is in this letter is like, listen, you might be hearing what I'm saying, but slow down and listen. Like slow down enough to like ask yourself, I know this letter is written to the church of Laodicea, but is this a letter that if I received in the mail and it was addressed from God, I would look at and go, Man, this is getting a little too close to home for me. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. As we kind of wrap up, and I know the worship team is going to come up in a second, um, I like how this letter was written to the church and not the city of Laodicea. Like, everybody knows, like, that city, you go to that city and you're like, it's broken. When we went to New Orleans, we went there and it was like, it was broken. But he's not writing it to the city of Laodicea. He's writing it to the church of Laodicea. And I love that because that means any one of us in the room, lukewarmness, it's not like some of us are like, you know, we're vaccinated, so we're not going to get lukewarmness. Like every single one of us 
this is something we could struggle with. And it might be something big. It's like you've just been denying Jesus your whole life and you're not giving your life to him and you're cold. Or it might be that you're, there's just something you're clinging on to in your life. Like I'm not giving up my finances. I'm not giving up my marriage. I'm not giving up my best friendships. I'm not giving any of it up because God can't touch that. Maybe that's the lukewarmness in your life. Or maybe it's part of like your discipline and you're like, Lord, I've been just sleeping in and not prioritizing your word. Or maybe it's that like, I know prayer is a big part of a journey as a believer, but I'm not going to do it. I don't know where you are, but none of us are exempt to lukewarmness. And all of us should be able to hear this letter and go, man, I know where God's trying to teach me. I know where he's trying to advise me. And so what I'll do now as we wrap up is this. Worship band, you can come on up. I'm going to pray for us. um, But I just want to let you know, like in this last song, that the altar is open. Me, I'll do me, Joe, and Matt. We'll be up front. But whatever you need to bring to the Lord, whatever you've been clinging on to and trying to live a divided life between this world and the kingdom of heaven, you can let it go. Like, God wants every bit of you because he loves you and cares for you. And so if you have something, just if you need to talk to God at your seat, just sit and talk to him at your seat. And if you need to come forward and talk to one of us, come talk to one of us. Or if you know someone in the sanctuary that you trust more, that you need to talk to, go talk to them. But don't leave today numb to the fact that lukewarmness can enter into our lives and it's keeping us from the fullness that God wants for us. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your son. I thank you so much for what he did for us on the cross. That he is the only thing that can fill the gap in our lives like this world can't. He's the only one who can take our sin and make us white as snow. He's the only one who loves us the way we need to be loved. And he's the only one with us who's going to walk with us through life and never let go. And so God, may we remember that. And in this last song of worship, may you draw us closer to you and may we have open arms and give anything over to you that you need to have. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. And I thank you that we have a morning like this to reflect. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.